0: Today's sermon is part of a sermon series it's part of a sermon series that we started last week and this is part two it's a special Advent sermon series you've heard us use that word multiple times we are part of the Advent series so we're part of the Advent um, season and uh, the elders have um, Conceived, created, and would like to deliver to you a special Advent sermon series, and this is part two. Um, What we're working through is we're actually, uh, there's a book in particular that we're interested in this year. It's, uh, It's published by Moody Publishers. It's called The Characters of Christmas The Unlikely People Caught Up in the Story of Jesus. Of course, we all know who the main characters of the Christmas story are, but perhaps you've never really noticed or not known at all, that there were a number of other people, individuals, that were caught up in Jesus' birth. And we want to focus on them this Christmas. Uh, So it's an opportunity to, over the next few weeks, as we lead up to Christmas, to talk about some of the other individuals, the other characters that got caught up in the story of Jesus. And This particular book has 11 chapters, but there's, well, we don't have 11 Sundays leading up to Christmas. So the elders picked just four that we wanted to introduce you to. Again, the, the author is Daniel Darling. So uh, last week, what? let's just to recap. Last week, Steve Daw opened Luke chapter 2, and he taught us about Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna, how they fit into the Christmas story. And no, they are not the main characters in the Christmas story, but their lives, like yours and mine, point to the one character of Christmas whose birth changed the world. Jesus Christ. So last week, if you missed the sermon or weren't here, we talked about Simeon and Anna. They were elderly. They were advanced in age. Anna, we are told, was 84 years old. Scholars figure that Simeon was about the same age, and they were waiting many decades for God to keep a promise, eagerly anticipating a king they were often overlooked. They are They are often overlooked in the Christmas story, so a special thank you to Steve Daw for preaching on Simeon and Anna last week and reminding us that God keeps His promises. He is in the business of keeping his promises. This week we're going to focus on the angels, also mentioned in Luke chapter two. Now I know much of what we think we know about angels has been shaped by popular media or by Hollywood lots of tv shows lots of movies involving angels and so we have a picture in our head about what angels are and who they are but what does scripture say so today we will be all things angels everything that scripture says about angels a special thank you to charity for reading our scripture passage and when you listened to the passage that charity read some of the rather famous characters probably jumped off the page at you as you read it in your own bible People like Joseph, Mary, baby Jesus, the shepherds, the angel of the Lord. You can't miss them. Most of us have a nativity set at home with all these characters. But there's one group of individuals that is often overlooked in the Christmas story, and it's the angels plural. So that's who we're going to talk about today, the angels, plural, that show up in verses 13 and 14, often overlooked at the Christmas time and as part of the Christmas story. So the passage reads zooming in on verses 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. If you're ready, let's examine the passage. Let's walk through it piece by piece. Why? Because we believe that the Bible is God-breathed, authoritative, inerrant, sufficient, understandable, necessary, timeless. Let us not be afraid to examine the text. As Pastor Steve often says, let's observe, interpret, and apply OIA. So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 digitally or Or in paper, let's walk through the passage together. As I said, last week we looked at Simeon and Anna. This week we're going to look at the angels in verses 13 and 14. Starting in verse 13, it says, And suddenly, as if the angels weren't already terrified from meeting an angel of the Lord, now there is suddenly more angels. It's interesting to note that they show up right after the angel of the Lord has announced the good news that born this day in the city of David, I think we've lost our microphone but that's okay, I'll keep going. Born this day in the city of David, um, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is a tremendous announcement and it appears to unleash a spontaneous praise from a wider group of angels. This happens to be something angels are known for, by the way, spontaneous praise, Job tells us about the praise that erupted when God laid the foundations of the earth. At creation, Job says, The morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job 38.7. Theologians will tell you that this is a reference to angels, the sons of God. Their number one job is to praise God, and yes, sometimes they do it spontaneously, sometimes they do it Suddenly. Moving through the text, it says there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. So this group of angels, which suddenly appeared, now joins the angel of the Lord, creating what is called a multitude of the heavenly host. Some translations call it an angelic army or a group of angel soldiers. Maybe your translation says that. That's interesting to me because I used to paint a picture of fairies in the night sky, some kind of heavenly host, something in the sky, but something, something dainty, something, I don't know, something fairy-like, dancing in the night sky. But I, I no longer think that's an accurate picture of angels. If this was indeed an angel army of soldiers, maybe it was more like a group of muscular I want to say Shane Piercy-type figures. <laughs> Maybe it was even like the United States Marines who, who chant, "Oohrah" as part of their battle cry. If you ever get the chance, I want you to Google U.S. Marines singing Days of Elijah. U.S. Marines singing Days of Elijah. It's absolutely fantastic. Over 4.7 million views on YouTube. That's what I think the Shepherds experienced in the fields outside Bethlehem an angel army an army of angel soldiers singing and rejoicing by the way we don't know how many angels were there but rest assured there were many perhaps you're wondering how many angels are in the world altogether does the bible tell us here's the answer we don't really know the writer of hebrews says there are thousands upon thousands hebrews twelve twenty two. King David wrote thousands of thousands, Psalm 68:17. But then listen to this: in Revelation chapter 5, the apostle John sees a vision of ten thousand times ten thousand, Revelation 5:11. That's a lot of zeros. And I know some of you are doing the math. <laughs> That's over a hundred million angels that John sees in a vision. Well, what does it say, these, this particular group of angels, that they show up in the field outside Bethlehem the night Jesus was born? What does it say they were doing? The text goes on as you read through verse 13. It says they were praising God. Yes, angels praise and worship God. Throughout scripture, we see that angels have a number of roles, and I can give you passages where they advocate, they protect, they make war, they announce they teach, they comfort, and they guide. But mostly these heavenly creatures have one important job, and it's to worship the triune God. So they suddenly appear, which they do. That's part of their nature, and they're praising God. What are they saying? Continuing through verse 13, it says, "And saying," Well, yes, angels can speak, by the way. They can take on physical form, and they can actually interact with creation. In fact, the Christmas story is filled with angels talking to humans. You can't tell the Christmas story about talking, about angels talking. The angel Gabriel speaks to Zechariah in the temple announcing the birth of John, Luke chapter 1. A few months later, he appears to Mary to reveal that she will give birth to Jesus, that he will be great and that he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give To him, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. On two occasions, an angel was sent to Joseph to reassure him that his wife Mary wasn't unfaithful. But they don't just announce good news, they are also sent by God to protect. It was an angel that warned the Magi to return to their country by a different route, thwarting the plans of King David to kill Jesus. And in this particular passage of scripture, we see them singing, not like little fairies in the night sky, but an an angelic army rejoicing and singing. They're praising God because the incarnation reveals God's glory. It reveals his love and it reveals his holiness. His redemptive plan to restore mankind is unfolding and the angels knew what was happening. Well, what did the angels sing? What did the angels sing? Well, they sang two things, starting in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. What does that mean? Well, they're giving glory to God, aren't they? They're responding to an announcement that the Savior is born. The angel of the Lord has just made an announcement. All of a sudden, more angels show up, and they sing glory to God in the highest. Now, while we can be certain that all of God's works bring him glory coming to earth in the form of a baby in the flesh for the redemption of the world is worthy of his utmost praise and glory. The importance of the announcement cannot be understated, so the angels give him glory. And who God chose to reveal the message to is beautiful. Not to royalty, not to religious elites, not to military generals, but to lowly shepherds. Paint a picture for yourself if you can. These, these shepherds are out at night keeping their watch over their flocks. This is not glorious work. This is not the best shift. Shepherds actually didn't have great reputations as it was. The nature of their work meant that they couldn't observe Israel's ceremonial laws. They were considered unreliable and could not give testimony in the courts. They were a despised class of person. And it's to these lowly men that the angel of the Lord announces the good news That a Savior, a Messiah, has been born in the city of David. And that it is good news. And not just good news for Israel, it's good news for all people. Not just Israel. It's a rescue mission. God sent his son to rescue us out of this world. And I didn't make that word up. The apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins Colossians 1:13. so the importance of the announcement cannot be understated and so the angels erupt in spontaneous sudden praise giving him glory continuing on through verse 14 what else did the angels say number two they say and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And if you're reading an ESV translation, notice it actually ends with an exclamation mark. Yet at Christmas time, we often hear something similar but different. We see it in music. We see it on Christmas cards. It goes like this. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Where did that come from? It came from this passage. But you say, that's not what my translation says. Well, the confusion largely comes from the King James Version of the Bible, which says, and on earth goodwill toward men. And over time, scholars have discovered that there were small variations in early manuscripts. And the argument has been made that the King James Version, at least this part, was based on an inferior text. Now, I'm not a Bible scholar, and I'm certainly not saying your Bible contains errors. On the contrary, Rather, I'm simply pointing out that small variations in early manuscripts of the Bible existed, and rest assured, the publisher of your Bible wants you to know that. They're in the business of encouraging transparency, and any of you holding a study Bible will probably notice a footnote at the end of verse 14 referencing the other translations. So if your Bible doesn't say, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, what does it say? The angels say, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. The NIV NIV translation, uh, uh, which I think uh, Charity read is is very close. It says, peace to men on whom his favor rests. We're talking about a peace that some enjoy and some do not. We know that without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So I think it is logical that, to conclude that the angels are talking about a peace that believers would enjoy, that those who are born again would enjoy, that those who put their faith in the finished, Christ, uh, uh, finished work of Christ on the cross would enjoy. This is a peace that surpasses understanding. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians He told them, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that they should let their requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6. So we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Through Christ, we have a vertical peace with God, reconciling us to God, We also have a horizontal peace in which, as Gentiles, we are grafted into the church, Ephesians 2, and it's in Christ. Well, what's the effect? Paul says it's something that surpasses human understanding and thought. It's a peace that settles the heart. Jesus said so himself. In John 14, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he says, Peace I give to you. My peace, sorry, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let your hearts not be troubled. This is a peace that works on the heart. Well, remember what Paul said to the Philippians, and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So it's also a peace that settles the mind, a peace that guards our hearts and minds. Guards from what? What? While the heart produces feelings. The mind produces thoughts. So this is a peace that believers have. It guards our hearts from feelings we shouldn't have. It guards our minds from thoughts we shouldn't have. It guards us from bitterness. It guards us from anxiety. And it guards us from losing joy. So when the angel said, and on earth peace among those whom his favor rests or on whom he is pleased... They're actually talking about a peace that believers would enjoy, that those who are born again would enjoy, that those who put their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ would enjoy. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. So how do we apply this to ourselves today? What can we cling to as concluding applications? Why did we spend the last 15 minutes unpacking a couple of verses in in Luke chapter two so that we would understand a little bit more about angels? who suddenly appeared in a field a couple of thousand years ago? Well, I have three concluding applications. Number one, angels are an important part of the Christmas story. Angels are an important part of the Christmas story. Always remember, you can't tell the Christmas story without talking about angels, plural. Now, I know your nativity set at home has probably just one angel. The angel, but there are others. The angel Gabriel spoke to Zechariah in the temple, remember, announcing the birth of John the Baptist. And later again, he appears to Mary to tell her about the birth of Jesus. And then on two more occasions, the angel was sent to reassure Joseph that his wife was not unfaithful, that that was important too. An angel speaks to the Magi and encourages them to take a different route home. And it was an angel of the Lord that came to the shepherds in the field announcing the good news that born this day in the city of David, wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger, is the Christ. And in this particular passage, verses 13 and 14 that we've looked at, we see, that we've unpacked, we see a group of angels. We see an angel army that arrives suddenly rejoicing and singing and giving glory. So number one, always remember, angels are an important part of the Christmas story. And you can't talk about the Christmas story without talking about angels talking. Number two, angels are an important part of God's creation, an important part of God's creation. And I said at the outset that much of what we think about angels has been shaped by popular media, from Hollywood, movies, and television. Well, Here's a few things that Scripture says about angels. Contrary to what you might have thought, angels have not always existed. They were created by God, along with the rest of his creation. They are part of what Paul calls the invisible world, They are spirits. They are spiritual beings. And although there are likely millions, maybe even hundreds of millions, only two are mentioned by name in your Bible. Great names for your sons, Gabriel and Michael. Angels do not die. They do not marry. They do not have children. They are powerful, but they are not omnipresent. They are intelligent. They can exercise moral judgment, and they can sin. That's right. Scripture teaches that God created two groups of moral, intelligent creatures, angels and humans. This means they can fall, and they do, and they did. And when they did, God was just. They deserved wrath. This is exactly what we see in Scripture. God casts them into hell. God does not spare them. He does not save them when they fall, and this is where Satan gets his demons topic for another day, perhaps. Scripture makes it clear that God wants us to be aware of angels. They have many roles in Scripture. Throughout your Bible, you will see that they advocate, they protect, they make war, they announce, they teach, they comfort, they guide, but most importantly, they worship God. You might be asking the question, well, what's the best way a Christian the Christian life can be enriched by an awareness of angels. If God wants me to be aware of angels, and they're clearly throughout the Bible, how does that, how does that affect my daily life? Number one, I think it's important to know that they exist. And maybe, maybe in your life, you've had an experience where you thought you met an angel. I know Jennifer and I did in a stairwell in the Janeway Hospital 17 years ago where convinced we met an angel who comforted us momentarily. And I'll cry if I tell the story, but um, some other day maybe I'll tell you the story. You can ask me afterwards. So maybe you've met an angel. They do exist, and you should be aware of them. Um, but do not pursue them. Do not pray to them, and do not worship them. That would be an unhealthy spiritual life. Uh, Wayne Grudem uh, Pointed me to Revelation chapter 19. And, and that's an interesting passage where John is, is talking with an angel and he falls down and he worships the angel. And you know what the angel says? He says, Don't do that. With an exclamation mark, don't do that. He said, I am a fellow servant, a brother and a servant like you in fellowship with other brothers and sisters like yourself, pointing to Christ as a testimony to Christ. And he points them to Jesus. It's amazing. He points them to God and he says, worship God, don't worship me, Revelation 19. So if we're to be aware that they exist and we're not to worship them, not to pursue them and not to pray to them, what can we do? Well, I think the Christian life is most enriched by knowing that they are singing. So in a few minutes, we're going to worship, we're going to sing, and we're actually joining in something that is already happening Though you do not see them, there is a great throng of angels in joyful assembly, worshiping and glorifying God. We are not doing anything new. We are simply joining in something already in progress. So watch for a line in our closing hymn that says, let heaven and nature sing, let heaven and nature sing, heaven and nature sing. We are not doing something new. We are joining something already in progress That is, angels singing, not like fairies in the night sky. I'm convinced it's more like an angel army singing and rejoicing. So, number one, angels are an important part of the Christmas story. Remember that. Number two, angels are an important part of God's creation. Number three, angels may be cool, but you are better. Angels may be cool, but you are better. Perhaps by now you think angels are pretty cool, they're smart. They're powerful, they're invisible. As an Avenger hero, that's a winning combination. Who doesn't want to be smart, powerful, and invisible? They battle demonic forces and they win. And they're obedient. And to some extent, even worthy of imitation. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, in heaven, God's will is done by angels. Immediately, joyfully, and without question. They delight to be God's humble, obedient servants. That should be our desire too, to do the will of God immediately, joyfully, and without question. But, and there's a big but angels may be cool, but angels are not created in the image of God. They are not created in the image of God. They do not share a special relationship with God that we do, we are his people. We are his people. God loves us with a love that can only be experienced by humans. Angels can never know his love the way we know his love. In fact, angels long to look into. That's what the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1. He said they long to look into the experience of redemption. They literally watch God redeeming a people for himself Year after year, decade after decade, century after century, they watch Jesus pursue his bride and it's something they'll never experience. Always remember, God became a man, not an angel. God redeemed us, not angels. Why? Because he loves us. It's a love so big that that we can't even understand it. We have the privilege of living by faith. Angels don't do that. We receive grace Angels don't receive grace, and we get to experience mercy, mercy through salvation, which angels don't. So put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Receive for free God's undeserved mercy and grace and be born again. Be reconciled, be forgiven, be adopted. Join the course of believers of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, and let's spend the rest of eternity in heaven worshiping him. Oh, yeah. And there's over 100 million angels there, too. We're going to need eternity to learn all their names. You might say, oh, I'm good with faces. There's 100 million names. Well, here's the good news. You already know, 2 Gabriel and Michael. And we'll be worshiping with them for eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've created angels and they, they're so important. They're part of your creation. And their number one job is to worship you. Turns out that's our number one job too. But Lord, we have a special relationship with you. You've created us in your image. Angels long to look into this mystery of redemption. And so Lord, we pray for those angels that have served and helped those here. Through their lives, maybe some here have encountered an angel from time to time. We know we shouldn't pursue them. We know we shouldn't pray to them or worship them. The Lord, we're thankful for them, especially in times of of deep suffering, times of deep danger. Sometimes it's an angel that comes along, and I'm sure the health sciences complex has a few angels, and so I'm thankful for them, but I'm thankful, more thankful for the work you're doing in our church for the work you're doing in our lives, for redeeming a people for yourselves. And so let us join now, Lord. We're gonna join and let heaven and nature sing. Amen.